Fair warning, the following contains disturbing sexual imagery and criminality. The names and identifying information of the perpetrator of these crimes and of victims have been changed to protect all concerned. Everyone listening should proceed with a thoughtful consideration of utmost caution. These are real crimes committed by real people. Sexual criminality is the dimension beyond the comprehension of the common man. It is a dimension as near as the boy next door and as personal as your own anatomy and belief system. Sexual criminality claims the flatlands somewhere between normal sex drives and disabling mental illness. Our own understanding of sexual criminality usually falls into simple-minded moral diagnoses and breathtaking ignorance of this most personal part of who we are. This is a part of ourselves we meet only with loathing and fear, believing we understand it. We are mistaken in this understanding. This is Sex Crime Central. His name is Samuel Norquist. Sam had been feeling lost for some time now. His drinking, always a favorite strategy for coping, had evolved into nightly blackouts. But going without drinking is utterly out of the question. There's simply too much pain for that. And besides, how else was he ever going to get with girls? His occupation? Sam hasn't done much since he left high school. Yeah, there'd been the regular low-end jobs with low pay. But occupation? What was that? If anything, Sam aspired to call himself an artist. Yeah, that's what he was, an artist. At present, Sam's life has been more of a disappointment to him than it has been to his parents or to his older brother. And that's saying a lot because his family know he has more to him than what's been going on for the last two years. Or ever, for that matter. Sam's got a chronically terminal case of potential. Great potential. In his case, the potentially great human being he's supposed to be can't seem to complete metamorphosis. No matter how hard or how much he drinks, he remains trapped in the chrysalis that is his nightly bottle. Then, late one night, he left the art sites that he usually liked to peruse before going to sleep. He traveled through the internet until he came to a place called Sex Crime Central. Sam, or Sammy as his family liked to call him, had been excited to go to school. What's not to like? Kids to play with, things to learn, lots of time on the playground, and best of all, hours away from the yelling his parents did at home. But Sam's first grade teacher did something that Sammy didn't like. She noticed that Sam had a difficult time with maintaining attention in a scholarly manner. First grade is, of course, where we establish our good habits, after all. And she placed a handbell on her desk so that she could ring it any time she noticed Sam was letting his attention wander. She even had a name for the bell, Sammy's Bell. And she explained to the whole class how she was going to help Sammy learn to pay attention. 
Publicly ashamed and humiliated, Sammy tried to pay attention, but sometimes when he noticed something and he looked at it for just a little too long, he'd hear that bell ringing ever so sweetly, and then he'd hear the other children laughing at him under the baleful eye of his teacher. Second grade was pretty awful in that Sammy had to go to a new school where he knew no one, and there he was put in special education classes because he seemed to be having such a hard time with his schoolwork. This was worse than the bell in first grade, and how was that even possible? By third grade, Sammy was diagnosed as having Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, and he was put on stimulant medication. This helped him with paying attention, but it reinforced an irrational belief that nine-year-old Sammy was starting to internalize. If I need drugs to be normal, then I'm not normal. It helped his social standing not one little bit when Sammy was discovered to have a need for glasses. And not just glasses, but glasses with the thickest lens known to humanity. Now he could finally see the board. And then, in fourth grade, a miracle happened. His IQ was tested, and Sammy, poor special ed Sammy with the thick glasses, he tested out as gifted, maybe even close to genius. Boy, good thing we found that out before there was any traumatic damage, right? Sammy was learning all about sarcasm, and not surprisingly, he eventually learned to view all of the authority figures in his life just as he viewed his teachers, cruel and hopelessly moronic. By fifth grade, he was learning from his big brother's behavior on the computer that cybersex was pretty fun and that it was harmless because it had nothing to do with sex in real life. Thank you, big brother. By seventh grade, Sammy was firmly in the elegantly minimalist academic habit known as getting by. He'd lost all interest in school by this time, and he didn't need to pay attention to pass anyway since he was so smart. He had always been easily bored, but now he'd become as bored with school as a French existentialist at a Baptist Bible study. By 15, Sammy was drinking to feel comfortable with social situations and to help attract girls. He knew that's what worked because he'd seen other people do it. He'd been wanting to have a girlfriend for a long time. And ever since he was 13, he was sure, absolutely sure, that he was the only virgin of his age in the larger metropolitan area. By 20, after high school, Sammy got his first DUI. He lost his job. He was still living at home. He had no girlfriend, and he was getting blackout drunk every night. Oh, and he was getting into file sharing, where he could check out other artists' work, get some free music, and check out hot girls who looked really young. They were really, really young. But by this time in his life, Sammy could see no reason not to continue his spiral down to a place known as Sex Crime Central. So tell me a little more about Sammy. I mean, he, you gave a lot of detail about his younger years and his situation in school, but what exactly happened that he got arrested? He got on the internet and he was looking at really, really young girls. So young 
and they were obviously well under 18, and that mm -hmm. is the cutoff point under the law for anybody to be looking at pictures of anybody else in a sexual you know, manner. So he had a charge related to downloading and viewing child pornography. But the way that you describe him, I mean, he had ADHD, he had some vision issues, but other than that, he was extremely intelligent from your account. So yeah, how he, did he end up getting involved in something so child pornography is truly horrifying to me and I think to a lot of our listeners. Hey, don't leave and a me out. Don't leave me out. I'm no, of course. I mean, too. yeah, absolutely. I just he was an intelligent person. He had, you know, matriculated and finished school in a somewhat of a normal manner. Then all of a sudden is charged with child pornography charges i mean yeah within less than two years of graduation how did that happen was charged with that and you know i think when i'm sitting in court and the judge says something similar to what you said um i have to point out to the judge that we all start the race of life off from a different starting position mm -hmm. some of us are incredibly tall and good looking are we <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> And some of us are are smarter than others, but even the smartest of people can go, their lives can go horribly wrong, right? I mean, the Nazis from World War II taught us that. You can have these brilliant, highly educated people who do heinous, horrible, inhuman things, and it's not for lack of IQ. So IQ and education, they do not in the, of themselves provide protection against sexual criminality, nor do they provide any sort of training on intelligent management of sexuality? That's rather breathtaking to me because, I mean, these variables, uh, Sammy is a really smart man. And he's also, by the way, a really good man. But if you recall, he was undiagnosed until, what was it, third or fourth grade. And up until then, he was treated as if he was intellectually disabled and forced into special ed and not provided with the adequate care that would have given him eyeglasses so he could see what was going on. But I have to stop you because I don't agree with your assessment as him being a good man. Okay. I just don't, I guess. Because he committed he was, a sex crime? No, because of the nature of his sex crime. I think that child pornography is incredibly hurtful in so many ways i don't even really know how to describe it and mm -hmm. him being of sound mind and intelligence and you know having yes he grew up in a house where people yelled a lot but is that the road to child pornography like i i don't see that as being some sort of excuse i just don't yeah and again you know it comes up so often when we have these conversations is Stephen Ng trying to excuse sex offenders or simply explain how they got to that place in their lives mm -hmm. where they had an impaired capacity for judgment? And I know that you don't like to think of him as a good man based on my description of him. I mean, obviously, you don't know him. Yeah. But I do know him, and I know that he is kind, uh, empathetic, that he never wanted to harm anybody. And we use child porn as sort of an umbrella term uh, it's not as though he was luring young people into a child pornographer's studio. He, yeah, he, wasn't he was observing. Yeah, he was on the internet cruising and looking at things that 
uh, could be seen by anybody. Mm -hmm. And it's just that he, you know, the crime, as it's currently understood, the crime isn't in the seeing of it. It's in the downloading of it for um, whatever purposes one might download it to look at later or whatever. And he was, like so many individuals caught up in this behavior, caught by a large task force, prosecuted pretty significantly and put in prison. So paid his debt to society, as we say, or at least as we used to say back in the 60s. And that's 1960s, not 1860s, in case you're <laughs> wondering. So he, for him, you know, is he a good man? Well, he's, I think, so good that I would easily accommodate him as a neighbor in my life. I I think he would be a pleasant person to hang out with on a personal level. Uh, he's got a great sense of humor. And as I said, he's kind and empathetic. So what makes him not a good man? Well, he had one past uh, criminal conviction and one prior bad act, which is a little bit like finding out, again, back to the 60s, finding out a woman has had sex with one man. So obviously she's a whore. They weren't married. So now she's tainted by that one behavior forever. And that's not really how we think anymore, you know, about anybody, is it? Well, and I know that this isn't your motivation, but it feels like you're making excuses for him right now. Yeah. Reverting back to, you know, outdated and historical issues and, and tendencies for people to be labeled, like you said. But this feel this is different. I feel like. It's and probably revolting. a lot of our listeners probably feel this way as well, because it's just not something that I feel we can explain away. And you did mention that he thought that it was cyber sex, so nobody was getting hurt and it was like anonymous. And I can I, I at least understand or start to understand that rationale. But I guess with this, I feel like you're kind of making an excuse for him. Yeah, let me let me just be very straightforward about that. I think there is no excusing the behavior like, oh, you don't understand. It was no big deal because of the No, we're not going to minimize. Mm -hmm. We're not going to deny and we're not going to blame anything else. I'm not interested even in blaming his past or the way he was treated or the rather poor care he received for ADHD and for his vision problems. I'm really more interested in simply explaining yeah. How it happened. So if you and I, in some sort of mad scientist experiment, were trying to see how many little boys we could turn into adult sex offenders, this is one way you might go about doing it. Making sure his little heart gets stomped on when he's in first grade, second grade, third grade, labeled as um, being special ed when actually he's at the opposite end of the bell curve. Being exposed as a sensitive young boy to lots of yelling in the home and having no friends, you know, growing up. So isolated, very uh, wanting to connect desperately with friends, with girlfriends. Why was he unable to do that? You know, that's a really good question. And then that causes us to take a deeper look at his life. And if you look, even at the details I've already provided, you have to ask the question, well, where would he have learned social skills? Well, he had the older brother. Where would he have learned the social skills that would have led him to meaningful friendships? Yeah. Okay. So he learned some skills, all right. You know, he he learned that in real life, 
there might be a thing called sex. But on the internet, you can have sex with all kinds of people, and it's like nothing. It's no big deal. The brother never got in trouble for any of his sexual stuff. So why would he get in trouble for anything sexual he did? He also had this irrational belief that he was not normal, and that caused him to further shrink back from people for fear of discovery, that they would find out that he's really not normal. He thought of his, in fact, I think so many of us think of ADHD in terms of a moral diagnosis and rather than a scientific one. That That's interesting. It is for me. I never me. really thought about it like that. Yeah, it is for me too, because I, I've gone from a very ignorant place, even as a therapist, to learning a lot more about it. And largely for personal reasons. My own son has ADHD, and I was just a terrible father with him for so many in so many ways. But what I've learned is, oh, it's an actual type of brain. It's a variation, a normal variation on a normal brain, like if we're going to call my brain neurotypical, um, people with ADHD are also normal, but they're just different in actually a fairly mild way. And the biggest distinction is people like me, my superpower, if you haven't already noticed, is that I can <laughs> handle boredom really, really well, so well that I can just do boring things for years on end, painlessly. You have a very boring life. I love it. <laughs> but somebody with ADHD finds boredom exquisitely painful. And yeah. for them, it's intolerable. And when we think back to our school education, you know, not to be uncharitable to the teachers I love and remember so well and so fondly, there's a lot about school that is very boring. There's a lot of standing in line. There's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of learning things. Oh, yeah, we already learned that last year. There's a lot, and especially for somebody. It's a lot of repetition. Somebody definitely. who's near genius level. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, he wasn't supposed to be the guy convicted of a sex crime. He was probably the guy who was supposed to write a symphony or produce a magnificent work of art or discover the cure for cancer. Who knows? He was supposed to do something else uh, given his abilities. So but, in a way, was he just seeking out? more entertainment or how do you how do we make the connection between ADHD and his sex crime and what led him to that point how do we make that well the first thing to remember is the social isolation that comes and and the social stigma that comes with ADHD because normally instead of a scientific diagnosis parents and teachers even the ones who know the diagnosis still tend to label the ADHD individual as lazy stupid, crazy, self-centered, and the list goes on and on. And and it's because their brains really aren't working exactly the same as ours. And in fact, the opposite is true. They experience the range of IQ that the rest of us experience, but they're probably actually more empathic than the rest of us and probably kinder and actually more socially skilled than the rest of us. Interesting. Yeah, they're they're highly sensitive individuals, and it hurts them to think that they're not normal, mm -hmm. and it hurts them to think everybody else is thinking that, and they're always on the edge of their seat with anxiety because they know it's only a matter of a very short time before somebody is going to be yelling at them for something that they didn't do and should have done, or something that they did do that they should not have done. Because people with ADHD can be forgetful. 
They can, they can lose track of tasks that require multiple steps and they can be somewhat impulsive mm -hmm. because it sounded like a good idea. Yeah, I want some gum. But he knew that gum chewing was against the rules and he'd already been in, in trouble lots of times for it before. So they get a lot of negative feedback about themselves as human beings. And, you know, those of us who I got through school being a good little boy and, you know, the kind of with my feet on the floor and my hands neatly folded and I virtually never got in trouble in school for any of that kind of behavior. And for the listening audience, if you think about it, um, if you just let your mind go back to elementary school and even to middle school or junior high school, usually the funniest people in class who had the rest of us just cracking up were the people with ADHD. They were charming, they were funny, and they often said things that were very, very true or so undeniably funny that we wished we'd had the courage to say what they said. Mm -hmm. And in their case, it wasn't courage. It was impulsivity. Yeah. And, and the teacher said, Johnny, if you talk one more time, if you say one more thing, you're going straight to the principal's office. And then he says something like terribly funny. And even the teacher is laughing. And she yeah, but you've got to go to the principal's office. That's it, mister. And so they're in trouble a lot. But being in trouble goes with being bad. Yeah. Being in trouble means the system as it's presently constructed is not conducive to the academic development of people with ADHD. They do need an accommodation, and mm -hmm. they do not get that accommodation. Now, we've had eyeglasses in this country since the very beginning. Benjamin Franklin had them. He invented bifocals. And... You would think that by this time in American history, we would kind of be sensitive to at least investigating whether or not children have adequate vision. And the idea that he was put in special ed before he got glasses, I mean, that should have been a routine thing that it's at least eliminate the possibility, is he able to see? Mm-hmm. And between the you 80s, think. I mean, that seems so obvious. <laughs> but Yeah, especially in the school setting where there's a, a blackboard up at the front or whiteboard now. I'm dating myself. There's, there's just vision or visual acuity is so essential to uh, academic progress in most classrooms. And yeah. So was it like a snowball effect because I'm just having a hard time connecting why he him having ADHD and then what led him to a sex crime. So by all accounts, he seems like a very high functioning person. He's very high functioning now. Yeah. Today, he's the sort of guy who's gone on with his life. He has a great job. He's making good money. He has, has he been able to have any relationships or oh, yeah. create meaningful relationships, oh, yeah. platonic or otherwise. He's so well informed now. He's probably better at that than most of us, mm -hmm. including when I compare myself at his age, I would say he has far more insight and far more adaptive behaviors than I did. You know, so I take my hat off to him. But uh, in that way, he's benefited so much from the therapy and the education he's gotten since he left prison. But we never needed to send him to prison. This crime, like so many of these others, never needed to happen. We could have prevented this. Had we been proactive and simply, uh, well, first of all, Nobody should be put in special ed without having a vision test. 
I will admit the the stories about the bill and his experiences as a young child were pretty horrifying to me. And nobody should be put in special ed without an IQ test. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to be responsible, why would you use that tool, that intervention to solve a problem? If you didn't even know the person had some sort of an educational problem that was diagnosed. And then you use the snowball metaphor. I prefer dominoes. Because it was really no one big significant thing, but you could just see how this early beginning caused him to be much more likely to pull away. Mm -hmm. And that contributed to a sense of social isolation. And he internalized then these irrational beliefs about his being a bad person, not a normal person. And he became increasingly socially awkward. And that social awkwardness was met with some relief in the form of uh, online sexing uh, that was taught to him by his older brother. And then he went on from there to have another irrational belief that of all the 13-year-olds in the world, he was probably the only one who'd never had sex. Which is a really young age. That's a really irrational That's a really irrational conclusion to make based on, but based on his available evidence. That's what he thought because everybody was talking about how they'd gotten busy, you know, this last weekend at the party. So he started drinking at 15. At 15 years of age, he's drinking heavily. And by the age, uh, you know, as an adult out of high school, he catches a DUI. And now he's lost his job, he's got a DUI, he's living at home, and he's doing blackout drinking every night. Blackout drinking, remembering, he doesn't remember what happened the night before. Yeah. So when we talk about what normal woman, the kind of normal woman he would want to be associated with, what normal woman is going to want to date a guy like the one I just described? He's really too messed up to be forming a successful connection with anybody. And until he got the help that he needed, he would not have been able to put that together. So, you know, he was at that point of his life, even if a woman had taken pity on him, I know how you girls like to take pity on <laughs> us men. Um, even if someone had, it would have turned out disastrously, right? Because of his drinking problem. And when he set that drinking aside and started going forward with his life in a way that he could structure and make it work for him, things turned out much better. So in terms of explaining the crime, what what explaining a crime scientifically does is it empowers us to then prevent that same crime from occurring with a different young boy who's in school right now, who right now is being treated the same way and is at risk for developing into someone with a sexual criminal problem in the future. Samuel Norquist had lived his young life going from one miserable event to another in a world that seemed out to get him ever since he was a little boy. From the earliest days of his school experience, he was outed as an abnormal freak who couldn't learn anything. His first few teachers established a fixed place in his memory as either abusive, just plain crazy, or both. His family loved him but they also loved to yell a lot. And he grew up not knowing what to do with his life at school or in the confines of his boyhood loneliness. The matter was simply never discussed. No one seemed to notice that he really didn't have any real friends. Insecure at school, unsure of his place in his social world, 
Without any allies, Sam's attempts at taking care of himself boiled down to three loves, art, sexual gratification, and alcohol. When he rolled into Sex Crimes Central, he found a place that was quiet, private, sexy as hell, and that allowed underage drinking. He found a waiting room where all the art on the walls was amazing and curated carefully to be on brand with, where was this again? Oh, that's right. We're at Sex Crime Central. You're listening to Sex Crime Central with psychotherapist Stephen Ng. This has been an Ng Intellectual production with original score by Octophonics, audio production by Steve Cooper, and video production by Jesse McCloskey. Follow Stephen on social media platforms at Stephen Ng MFT or visit StephenNg.com for more information. Don't forget to subscribe to Sex Crime Central and leave us a review with your thoughts on each episode. We'd love to hear from you.